came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, welcome everybody back to Disasters Deconstructed podcast. We are recording a special episode today, a collaboration with the Disaster Prevention and Management Journal. And we're talking to the editors of a special issue that was released this summer on the L'Aquila earthquake, 10 years on, impacts and state of the art. And we're talking to the editors and also some of the authors of papers in that special issue. So I'm really excited to bring this to you. Hey, everyone. And this is a great opportunity to hopefully bring academic publications closer to those of you who don't usually read academic publications. And we're delighted to welcome again Giuseppe Farino, who has featured in our first season, if you remember, in the IRAC episode. And together with Giuseppe today, we have Fabio Carnelli and also the authors of three different papers. Um, we have Angelo Imperiale and Isabella Tomasi and Jean-Marie Valent. Welcome, everyone. Hello, hello everyone, and thank you for inviting me again. Hey, Giuseppe. Hi, Fabio. Hi, everyone. Thank you for inviting me. Maybe before we kick off, uh, Giuseppe and Fabio, you could give us a little uh, brief uh, introduction for our listeners who don't know you already. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I am uh, Giuseppe Forino. Uh, I am a senior research associate at uh, the School of Environmental Sciences at uh, the University of East Anglia, based in Norwich, UK. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on uh, disaster risk reduction and participatory action research in Ecuador at the moment. Excellent. Uh, hi, I'm Fabio Carnelli. Uh, I'm now assistant professor at the Polytechnic University of Milan, and I'm be- I've been working to analyze uh, disaster risk uh, governance uh, and participation in disaster management, uh, I think, since uh, eight years. And um, I also manage uh, a blog on, on these issues in Italy. Welcome, Giuseppe and Fabio. We're so glad you were able to join us today. And so glad that you brought together this collection of papers for a special issue. So I'd like to start off just by asking you, why is L'Aquila so important for disaster studies? Maybe you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, L'Aquila is important for many reasons. Um, First of all, I think that uh, it was the first uh, large disaster in Italy that was, uh, we can say, broadcasted on Facebook. Mm. So we were uh, really experiencing uh, people um, connecting to the social media and saying what was uh, going on there. So it was like, uh, and um, uh, for me, it was also, I started I started to to be interested in disaster studies because I was on Facebook and I was uh, reading what was going on there, and it was really interesting to see how the what was uh, broadcasted on TV was completely different from what was uh, experienced by people on on social media. Mm. So this is really uh, it was really 
it, it was really something uh, shocking for for us as uh, as researchers as uh, Italian also uh, citizens in a way mm. and um, then L'Aquila uh, is a regional capital of an Italian region Abruzzo so it was uh, uh, I think uh, maybe 30 or 40 years uh, ago the last earthquake that hit uh, uh, a city in Italy so a capital um, reg- a regional capital sorry was uh, hit by an earthquake so uh, the state had to manage 70,000 people that was that were affected by by this disaster then uh, um, it was really um, and it's something that uh, for example David Alexander is um, is uh, putting uh, put forward in our special issue is how uh, a moderate uh, earthquake so 5.8 uh, uh, 6.3 uh, Richter um, Richter scale earthquake can have uh, a so uh, huge impact uh, on a city and on on local communities because uh, root causes are not addressed in a proper way. So how how is so important to look at uh, root causes at uh, um, different uh, aspects and factors in order to uh, to address this kind of uh, of, of hazards. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there are also other issues, for example, the, um, some paradoxes that emerged in, uh, in the emergency and recovery management. But I think that uh, Giuseppe can uh, tell us more about this. Yeah, I think uh, the, the other important thing is the paradox of the, the temporary housing solutions that were uh, uh, decided by the Italian government and that at the end they were, uh, uh, you know, they were just concrete buildings. So there were there were no, uh, uh, how to say, no uh, thought to be permanent, to be sorry, to be to be temporary, but to be permanent. So there is this uh, dichotomy uh, or this paradox of the temporary, uh, the temporariness that become permanent, and this is a very unique reconstruction model that took place in, in L'Aquila. And of course, what was really important, also the fact that, you know, uh, the, this, uh, this big earthquake, this earthquake was uh, spread across social media, in particular Facebook, because at the time, you know, Twitter was not so common yet, in 2009. Uh, there is also a huge spectac- spectacularization of the uh, of the um, emergency management and recovery by the Italian government. Think just about what I think we were talking with Fabio a couple of days ago. The the case project that is this, uh, you know, there's big complexes, there's big uh, supposed temporary complexes hosting the evacuees of L'Aquila were inaugurated on 29 September with a lot of TVs, uh, radios and uh, Worldwide, and 29 sept- were inaugurated by the the at the time Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi that we all know for you know it's, he's a very global character, mm. uh, and 29 September was his birthday, uh. so you know he was uh, celebrating his birthday 
by inaugurating the CASA project, so by staying together with the people. So, you know, this mass spectacularization of the, of the event, also considering that the G8 meeting that in July 2009 was scheduled in La Maddalena Island in Sardinia, was moved, was moved just last, just 10 days before in L'Aquila. So you can see Obama, Merkel going, uh, you know, across the rubbles, across the ruins. And that was really a huge uh, moment, uh, you know, to bring, uh, you know, to show Italy, that, to show that Italy, the Italian government was doing something. And another, another question was the technocratic power of the Italian uh, Civil Protection Department. This technocratic power was not just... Uh, uh, can I say, was not just a technical power, but was a political power. At that time, for the, uh, for the way, let's say, the, the Italian civil protection was organized, that department was really uh, a powerful hand of the Italian government. So, you know, there is, this, uh, there is also this political angle that uh, uh, is very, very important to understand L'Aquila. Probably I will talk a little bit more about that later, but yes. Um, and and um, just another another point. From L'Aquila, from 2009, a new generation of Italian scholars working on disasters was born. You know, I choose to work on L'Aquila for my PhD because the night, well, I was living in Rome and that night I was shaking uh, because L'Aquila was just 60 kilometers away from Rome. And the, 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 day, the day after I was at my university, I had the mountain of L'Aquila just, uh, you know, at the horizon of my fifth floor uh, at the university. And I was shaking again because, you know, there were the, uh, the seismic swarm after the earthquake. So, you know, uh, these, well, the, I am just an example, but, you know, there are anthropologists, historians, um, uh, geographers, sociologists, uh, Italian from, from Italy that decide to talk about uh, this disaster and other disasters that will happen in the future. So obviously, L'Aquila earthquake was a very significant event right across Italian society in so many ways. Um, yeah. So Giuseppe and Fabio decided to uh, propose this special issue for disaster prevention and management. So you, you mentioned there about a new generation of researchers kind of um, being coming into the disaster studies area through this event and after it. So how, how did the special issue come about? Why did you uh, decide to do it on the 10-year anniversary? Of course, 10 years is a significant date. You know, it's a, yeah, so for sure we wanted to uh, leave a track after 10 years. So we were asking ourselves how, what, what, is going, what is going on in, in L'Aquila? How the things are going? How can we let know people, but let's say academia, what about what, what, what is going on in, in Latvia. So we thought that probably a special issue collecting different data would be, uh, would have been a, a great idea. This is, the, this is the first reason. So the first reason was really leaving a track. Mm -hmm. So, you know, understand what was going on. So, you know, in the future, in 10, in 
2030, when people is continuing to work on Latvia, they say, oh, we have this track after 10 years, so let's let's rely on 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 this data. This is the first. Uh, this is the first question. The second question. The, the second point is what what you are uh, what you were exactly saying, uh, Jesper, that uh, we wanted to put together uh, a lot uh, this knowledge about Latvia that was fragmented. Uh, you know, you had paper here, paper here, uh, magazine here, magazine here, but there was nothing. Uh, how can I say? Coherent or consistent on an academic journal, uh, so we decided to do uh, to do that. Also, because there is a huge amount of literature in Italian that is really, really interesting, and that of course it doesn't find uh, um, how can I say global uh, global recognition because it's published in Italian. So we had the opportunity to have, uh, for example, uh, Rita Ciccaglione, Gian Maria Valent, that. That didn't publish too much in English, but uh, with us, uh, they published they published very good papers with very interesting topics. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I have also other two points. One is uh, um, for me personally, it was like to give back uh, to the local communities what uh, I I got from uh, from L'Aquila from from my field work from my from my experience from from what uh, I've read. Uh, fr- from this huge uh, scientific production uh, um, that was uh, written on on L'Aquila, it was like to um, yeah to 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 make the point to to say okay so uh, 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 it was like uh, it was uh, um, it was a, a so controversial earthquake and it is so controversial. Uh, both uh, risk communication issue because we can't forget the the L'Aquila trial. Uh, mm. I think it uh, uh, it went international. The, the 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 issue of risk communication uh, made by the, by the the Italian scientists and the, and the Italian civil protection and how people um, perceived risk reacted to their risk communication. But I think that uh, this point will be. Um, I think that Angelo Imperiale will go through this point because uh, he, uh, in his paper, he uh, he he did a, a good analysis of this. But uh, uh, and this is one point. The other point was uh, um, we also wanted to um, to do our part as scholars. But also um, as as blogger uh, to go in a way uh, against this spe- spectacularization. So ten years after, what are the results of this new generation of disaster risk uh, uh, scholars? What are our results? Our analysis. Uh, so we want to give back to the local communities uh, this kind of of analysis. And uh, this is also really linked to our commitment to these issues, this analysis, because uh, the blog that uh, um, Giuseppe and I are uh, are managing is is called Lavoro Culturale. The 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 the, um, the section, the special section on uh, risk and disasters that was born to create a larger debate on these issues was born after uh, the L'Aquila earthquake. So it was something that uh, that was born there. So we wanted to 
you know, to um, and and we we collected in this blog. We edited one hundred articles, so it was like, hey, uh, in our academic path, in our academic careers, in our uh, papers, we we did a lot of analysis. We read a lot of analysis. Also, in our blog, we 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 edited different kind of analysis, more you know, uh, for for the broader public. Now let's let's. Uh, uh, let, let's make a synthesis. Let's uh, make the point of this, and let's uh, give back to 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 the local population and uh, a sort of supposed Italian civil society. So that's it. Uh, and it, it's it's great, um, you know. When I was reading your special issue, it, it, it was wonderful to see that you've actually managed to represent lots of different sides of the story. So you, some papers are talking about community, mm-hmm. other papers are really quite political. I would say most papers were quite political. Yeah, so that, yeah, absolutely. Um, the topic yeah. of neoliberalism, right, came strongly yeah, I think, in yeah. all of the papers through the special issue. And you've already acknowledged some of the most prominent themes, say the, the damage that was caused, right? Particularly for those uh, most uh, marginalized ones. You also talked about the um, emergency management to an extent and then disaster spectacle, which is sort of almost the next level up from disaster tourism, right? You don't just attract yeah. tourists anymore. You attract the leaders of the government from around yeah. the world. Um, yeah, to show what it is we do and what we don't do. You know, and I've been to L'Aquila and it uh, quite a few years after the earthquake and it was still pretty damaged which was quite disturbing to see really but so for you when you were putting the special issue together when when you have put the special issue together what were the most prominent threads what were the most prominent themes can you tell us a little bit more about the papers um, and the themes that you would like to highlight so the special issue is composed of eight papers plus uh, uh, i guess in- introduction by me and fabio so uh, the first paper is the paper by David Alexander that uh, to, that mentioned the disaster cycle that occurred in L'Aquila. And uh, Fabio was also saying before, uh, he talked about the pre-existing vulnerability in, in L'Aquila, particularly in terms of uh, uh, built environment and buildings. Uh, L'Aquila is an historical city like uh, thousands of cities in Italy, cities and villages in Italy. All of them, uh, you know, really vulnerable because of their, uh, you know, because of the cultural heritage. So uh, he was exactly making the point of uh, how, uh, you know, pre-existing vulnerability can lead uh, to a huge impact, even though the the earthquake was was a really moderate uh, earthquake and how how this has consequences uh, on the territory and on the population. Uh, mm-hmm. The second, the second paper is uh, 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 by Angelo Angelo Imperiale. Uh, yeah, he was talking about the the L'Aquila trial, and uh, I think probably he will talk a little bit better uh, uh, about this. But yeah, just just uh, very quickly, he was reflecting on the L'Aquila trial and on how the uh, the the special committee that was uh, uh, organized in L'Aquila for um, managing the the preparedness of the of, of the earthquake, 
really didn't care about the social issues, about the vulnerability, but just had a technocratic approach. And uh, and this, of course, uh, was was going against, let's say, the Yokohama framework for uh, uh, Yokohama strategy for disaster reduction or the uh, uh, Hyogo framework for uh, uh, for action. So you know they didn't follow the international guidelines about uh, disaster risk uh, risk reduction. Um, and then you have a very interesting paper by Gian Maria Valent that Xenia you were mentioning. Um, yeah. yeah, he was talking about the violence of uh, a neoliberal approach to disaster recovery in, in L'Aquila. And he was demonstrating how uh, the technocratic approach, the technocratic top-down approach that the Italian government used uh, in L'Aquila, uh, on the one side, uh, completely marginalized the uh, not just the local communities but also the local the local institutions, and on the other side, it caused the fragmentation of the of the population and it caused a lot of uh, uh, of uh, social issues and changing the demography. And for for him, and I I tend to agree with him. And, and yes, of course, that is a form of violence that is not just physical, but it's also a form of institutional violence. Uh, we, then we have the paper by uh, Grazie Di Giovanni and Lorenzo Kelleri that were critically investigating the concept of uh, building back better applied in L'Aquila. And they demonstrated that uh, uh, this uh, concept, uh, a revised concept of building of BBB, so building back better, was applied in L'Aquila, but uh, was mainly um, was mainly considering the built environment without considering the you know the social situation of the city. Uh, that is that was a, that was a, a situation of uh, shrinking. Mm. Then uh, in, in the paper by Yorgos Kukufikis, uh, he showed how uh, um, the knowledge city uh, reconstruction uh, model, because it was presented by lo- by uh, local and national authorities uh, as a recovery and reconstruction model, uh, was uh, uh, it was just uh, a political propaganda because uh, in reality it was very difficult. Uh, to to make uh, l'aquila uh, a knowledge city and, and to to develop uh, this idea in this area because uh, um, as giuseppe uh, just said uh, it's a shink- uh, it's a shrinking area it's an area affected by depopulation uh, and uh, is a sort of underdeveloped area. There, there are lots of problems there, and so it's like the the local and national government wanted to um, to apply a model that couldn't work there, or worst, um, this this um, this idea, this model was just a propaganda to to hide the what was not reconstructed to hide what what was not done there then uh, Rita Ciccaglione shows us how there are different layers and we uh, we need to see different layers in addressing resilience institutional resilience is completely different from local actors resilience and we can we can analyze what kind of local tactics uh, local people are uh, practicing, are, 
are uh, putting forward. For example, he ana- she analyzed how teenagers uh, are experiencing the red zone that is the, um, the part of, this, of L'Aquila City that is still closed because uh, it's, uh, it's damaged or it's under reconstruction and how they use these uh, uh, aban- abandoned buildings uh, to, um, to found a new sense of belonging based on, uh, um, on hip-hop and uh, on uh, a new reappropriation of uh, uh, sort of public spaces because of our private uh, empty spaces that uh, became in a way uh, public because nobody is living there. <laughs> mm. uh, and then um, uh, in another paper um, is showed by Teresa Galanti and Michela Cortini how work is uh, uh, really a key issue in, in, uh, uh, in reconstruction and how it was not really considered in reconstruction policies. Uh, why? Because uh, they analyzed how female workers um, uh, must, must in a way choose between uh, work or family. Because it's really, uh, it was really hard, almost impossible, because of uh, a lack of welfare and a lack of uh, 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 welfare at national and local level uh, to um, to to recover their own families and at the same time to 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 start uh, a new job or to continue their previous career because uh, and this is also a cultural issue the women are supposed to take care of the family uh, to care of the household yeah 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 it's it's yeah. something that yeah. emerged mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, uh, of course, it was not uh, always like this. Every every family is were different. Uh, but when uh, when a woman wanted to, to to start or to continue their own career, it was more difficult for for them because uh, uh, because you know when you are displaced, you you need to 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 rethink to to, to everything linked to to your household, and so it's uh, it's almost impossible to to do this. Above all, if you are if you are a woman. So it, it, basically what happened in L'Aquila is like a showcase of everything um, that yeah. didn't have to happen, but happened after a disaster, right? It's like all those topics that we as disaster study researchers are trying to explore and trying to address. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, as, as also we wrote in the editorial, I think that uh, uh, what was happening in L'Aquila uh, uh, is a pattern that is... Uh, uh, experienced in other disasters that occurred in Italy. So, you know, the, the social fragmentation, the reset, the forced resettlement of the population, also the use of, uh, um, the abuse of medicine by the people, these, uh, you know, this uh, strong power by the Italian government. That, the, let's say, the pattern that has been created in Latvia has been followed also, you know, in the Emilia-Romagna earthquake, uh, in the earthquake in 2016, and for sure, they are also the baseline for uh, uh, other uh, post-disaster events worldwide. So, um, we really feel that uh, it's, uh, it's, ve- it's a very important topic that uh, deserves to be, you know, to be spread the voice uh, Mm. across the world 
Yeah, another important uh, issue emerged from uh, from from L'Aquila earthquake and from this special issue is a sort of uh, um, a lack of responsibility from uh, from the state uh, from uh, regional institution. It's like uh, um, it's like it's more convenient not to uh, uh, to, re to, re to reconstruct a city because uh, it's more convenient to to make money on uh, uh, with emergency management and with recovery management and uh, it's more convenient not to take uh, risk prevention measures not to do risk communication campaigns it's uh, it's more convenient that the the next disaster will happen and then uh, another uh, state uh, agency will make money uh, from from these disasters uh, from the, from from this from the next disaster it's like uh, um Maria called this uh, uh, structural violence um, uh, made by the state through displacement but i think it's uh, we can we, we can um, we can also say that it's uh, uh, it's a structural violence made uh, in different ways so in in all these ways because uh, uh, there's no really interest in uh, in addressing these issues because uh, uh, for many maybe we we can discuss uh, uh, about the reasons well what i mean what are the reasons that you you feel that the root causes are not being addressed or what are the main barriers to any change well i think i think one for one for sure is corruption it's, uh, Corruption is always mentioned as an important factor because uh, as also the tires, some tires after the Lack Network demonstrated, mm. there is a strong connection between politics and uh, local and national entrepreneurs, uh, you know, uh, lobbies or, or whatever. And this, of course, uh, makes uh, uh, the recovery profitable uh, instead of you know, reducing, reducing risk. This is... Uh, this is, but this happens everywhere. You know, we also know the statistics. Uh, uh, you know, by, by international organizations says that more, most of the money are spent for eighty percent of the money are spent for uh, recovery instead of disaster disaster risk reduction. So this is the first the first thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And probably another one is uh, probably Fabio will agree with me is the fact that we really don't talk about uh, in Italy. We really don't talk about vulnerability. This is uh, very very important. We mainly talk about uh, Disasters, as you know, as we were saying, a natural disaster or something that has to do with the nature, uh, and not something that must be addressed by understanding the root causes. Uh, this is uh, this is astonishing, also because really, uh, in in there are no documents in uh, Italian documents where you find the word vulnerability. Looking at the root causes, they mm. just look at the buildings, but they don't talk about the people. And I think this is another important, mm. another important issue. Yeah, then I think other two issues are important. One is culture. Uh, nobody is, uh, is looking at culture in, uh, in addressing uh, risk and disasters in Italy. So we need, as Giuseppe uh, was saying, to, to address uh, risk and disasters, uh, looking at uh, vulnerabilities, so at social uh, um, aspects, but also at cultural aspects. How mm -hmm. people... Uh, um, is thinking uh, to these issues how people is uh, culturally managing or not managing risk uh, and disasters another issues is uh, 
uh, is politics, I think. Uh, politics and policies, because uh, we don't have proper policies uh, to, to address, uh, to tackle uh, disasters. Mm. We, we already discussed about this. And then it's, uh, it's not convenient for, for politicians to spend money for risk mitigation because, you know, um, you won't say the effects of the next disaster in the next five years. Yeah. So you are not elected to, to repair buildings or to make buildings resistant to the next disaster. Disaster. So I think it's it's really important because uh, uh, it, because it's not uh, um, it's like it's not an issue in Italy. Even if we are very very seismic and disaster prone countries, and, mm. and we have a really uh, huge cultural heritage, and uh, there, there there are some some data that say that the. Um, Seventy um, percent of uh, the housing stock uh, um, has no anti-seismic building codes. Mm. Right. So, so I think it was interesting what you were saying about policy and politics because um, you know we, we we need to acknowledge more um, and as you guys do in the special issue that they're not the same thing, right? That a policy agenda yeah. is very often formed when there is like a public problem, and supposedly it's the politics that is there to address that problem via policy. But very often it doesn't work like that at all. It actually works other way around, right? And politics yeah. creates more problems with the policies that are introduced because of the short termism. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But you see also the the COP25, you know, it, that this is another kind of international policy that at the end has no effectiveness on politics. So, you know, when, when there is a lack of... Uh, I was also writing yesterday on Twitter, you know, the commitment by Australia in reducing, you know, in tackling climate change. It's, it's well, uh, well, Jason and I worked about Australia. After 30 years, they are doing schemes, uh, uh, funds or whatever about climate change, climate change. But at the end, they, they don't sign the international international protocol. So at the end, what, what we are talking about, if there is no genuine political commitment, you can do all the policies you want, but it's just a waste of money. It's Precisely. Just a lie to taxpayers, actually. Let's say this. Right. It's a fraud. It's totally a fraud. We must say that it's not just Australia, of course, but generally speaking. You know. Okay, so uh, now we're going to hear from some of the authors um, of the special issue articles, um, having already talked about the key themes and some of the um, heard a little bit about why these articles were included in the in the special issue. So first, we have on the line Angelo Imperiali. Angelo, welcome. Where where are you at the moment? I'm in the Netherlands now, in Groningen. Uh, nice. Good morning, good morning, Jason and Xenia, and thank you for having hey. invited me to. To your great radio program, Disasters Started Podcast, and this special episode. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being with us. So, um, in your paper, you're reflecting on a really interesting story um, that unfolded after the earthquake, and that was um, really in the press quite a lot. It was the the trial in Aqua, and it was a prosecution of scientists, six scientists, and one government official. Um, 
Initially, they were accused of negligence, carelessness, and malpractice. Um, and they were initially found guilty of manslaughter, bodily harm, and conspiracy, and sentenced to uh, prison time and penalties, cost penalties. So, but following the appeal, the scientists were found not guilty, but the government official was sentenced to time in jail. So it's something that I think a lot of people around the world have heard about, um, but maybe you could tell us a bit more about this and why it uh, is so relevant to the way we think and talk about disaster risk reduction. Thank you for asking me this. Um, just let me spend two words, uh, because I'd like to thank you for having invited me, and i also like to take advantage to thank Giuseppe and Fabio, who did a great job in leading this special issue. Mm. It has been a nice journey. We all worked on the Lapidary earthquake, and although we never met in person, <laughs> I'm sure that this won't be the last time we meet, and I hope this will be only the beginning of a long-term cooperation on these topics. So, really excited to enjoy this conversation. And to get back to your question, well, the paper, as you told, reflects on a very interesting story. Uh, there was uh, the persecution of six scientists and one government official, and has a lot to teach as to the way we think and talk about disaster risk reduction. So basically, just an introductory remark uh, to, to say that you know, for over 30 years, the United Nations have established the disaster risk reduction and resilience paradigm that should be the basis of any planned interventions before and after disaster. So this mm -hmm. means that basically, you know, at the core of the, this thinking is uh, the relevance of reducing disasters before they occur. And to reduce disasters, states must reduce vulnerabilities, enhance and strengthen the local capacities to learn and transform, and, you know, also produce a scientific knowledge that should be co-produced with local communities experiencing at the core phase of disaster risk, you know, and be transformative. So inciting, you know, recognizing the role of local communities in learning and transforming to better reduce the risk of disasters in the future. So that's at the core of the disaster risk reduction paradigm. Now a bit of chronology of what actually happened in L'Aquila before the 6th February 2009, which is not that easy to tell in five minutes, but I will try and <laughs> yeah. we do the best. So basically what happened before the, uh, the, the L'Aquila earthquake was that there was a sequence of tremors and earthquakes which was lasting for over eight months and was increasing in intensity and frequency, affecting local people's lives and perceptions. So to give you an idea, 88 earthquakes equal or bigger than two on the Richter scale occurred only in January 2009, 100 in February 2009 and 115 in March 2009 with an earthquake of four on the Richter scale that occurred on 30 March 2009. Mm. So just a week earlier, the major earthquake. So yeah. in this period of time, what is very interesting was that local people developed the capacity to learn from the disaster risk they were perceiving and experiencing and enacted individual and positive transformation reducing or demanding to reduce the local vulnerabilities that were affecting their well-being and that were getting worse. They learned about the intrinsic interlinkages between the vulnerabilities that were getting worse and the increasing in intensity of the disaster risk they were perceiving. Mm -hmm. They learned that the most vulnerable were also those most exposed to the risk of disaster and they undertook meaningful individual and collective action. For example, local people learned that their buildings were getting more vulnerable, they convened body corporate meetings and they reported that the worsening of cracks, asking for building inspections, 
They claim that these vulnerabilities had to be reduced. They recognized that the most vulnerable in their community, such as children, were overexposed to disaster risk in the public school, were getting highly vulnerable because of tremors, and they demanded for shutting down the schools. Actually, public schools were shut down many times before the major earthquake. Finally, local people who were suffering disaster risk in the L'Aquila area repeatedly asked regional and local authorities for civil protection and or emergency plan to enhance their capacity and resilience and be better prepared. So now what happened was that the arising of these capacities was perceived by local and national authorities as just a matter of anxiety and unjustified alarmism that needed to be controlled. On 12 March, for example, there is a phone call between the head of the Regional Civil Protection Service and the chief of the National Department of Civil Protection, which clearly illustrates this. On 30 March, there is a phone call between the then chief of the National Department and the regional councillor uh, responsible for civil uh, protection, which clearly illustrates that civil protection authorities were considering local people capacities only in terms of unjustified alarmism that had to be reassured, calmed down and controlled. So basically, the strategy was to convene a meeting uh, of some scientists uh, that uh, were part of the major risk commission, which is the public body in charge to assess disaster risk for civil protection purpose. And, and, and they convened this meeting after the, 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 air, the earthquake on, of four on the Richter scale on 30 March. So they precisely convened this meeting uh, the 31st of March, 2009, uh, six days before the earthquake, to assess the disaster risk associated with the earthquake swarm and associated civil protection issues. So what actually was discussed inside that meeting, what, what were the key contents that were discussed? Uh, my paper addresses this key question, which have been little explored by other research on this topic, at least in academic journals. And um, well, the finding were that the meeting lasted only 45 minutes and to be as, as shortest as possible, you know, the, the assessing of vulnerabilities was considered irrelevant for the purpose of the, the meeting. Uh, the capacities to learn and transform of local people was understood as being just a source of anxiety so that the responsible for civil protection was asked whether he was taking police action against people uh, playing around, saying that they were at risk. And, and, and the, the whole scientific knowledge production in this meeting was perceived just as being a technical scientific advice for civil protection purpose rather than, you know, a transformative could produce knowledge that scientists together with local authorities and national authorities had to produce together with local communities to make them more aware about the risk and how to behave, you know. So where no civil protection plan or emergency plan discussed and, uh, and this really reveals something that needs to change in how the states perceive disaster risk and how disaster risks are assessed. So Angelo, um, when you when you think about uh, the ramifications from uh, the trial um, in Italy, like do, how how involved were the public in discussing what was going on, and has has there been any any impact on the the culture or like trust between the public and institutions, um, or the public and scientists? Um, do you have any any thoughts on that? 
Well, 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 what we discovered actually was that disaster risks were understood only in technical scientific way, right? Mm. So vulnerabilities were not considered relevant to assess the risk of disaster people were perceiving. And actually, what occurred was that then the whole institutional mechanism accepted that the assessment of vulnerabilities was irrelevant. Mm. So the Court of Appeal basically accepted that assessing vulnerabilities and, you know, building participatory strategies to reduce vulnerability was irrelevant for the purpose of the meeting. And this was, 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 a, was affirmed by the Court of Appeal and was then confirmed by the Court of Cassation that was the highest rank, you know, you could appeal to. And the highest Court of Cassation, moreover, said basically that agreed that the, the assessing of vulnerability or the reduction of vulnerability or the assessing of likely strategies to reduce vulnerability and enhance capacities was relevant for the purpose of the meeting. But mm. furthermore, he said, clearly stated, you know, in the pages of that document, clearly stated that, you know, while we all know what is the due diligence that the scientists had to push you in that meeting, meaning assessing the disaster risk, that was the due diligence. On the other way, we do not know what is the diligence due, except that, you know, <laughs> except that, you know, leaving the scientists uh, in their process of, in their creative process of, of, of uh, understanding risk, which is a scientific process in which the state cannot intervene, cannot right. interfere, mm -hmm. right? So we clearly have a state and furthermore, furthermore, there is no definition of risk anywhere and neither of risk assessment. So this implies that, you know, the state does not give or neither provide to the scientists any procedure or protocol on how to precisely assess disaster risk, mm -hmm. except then being, you know, general cautions and information. Most of the critiques actually uh, about this topic focused on how, you know, uh, disaster risk were were communicated but actually we should better reflect on how disaster risk must be reduced and this should lead us to understand how local vulnerabilities had to be reduced and how local people should be empowered to reduce their own vulnerabilities so we need to understand their capacity to learn and transform we need to foster you know the empathy and the social responsibility towards the most vulnerable and vulnerabilities and we need to foster you know this public ethic about reducing vulnerabilities otherwise we will have in the future even more disasters yeah it seems like at an institutional level it was just kind of a passing passing of responsibility or making sure that nobody was held accountable how do normal people who are affected feel about the fact that nobody wants to be responsible there was surely much frustration you know about yeah. this uh, the issue that there was no learning from this experience because if you only think that the only uh, lesson learned by the state was you know to reform the law so that the major risk commission should even should be even more close to the public yeah. than it was before that they realized that it was a mistake to you know get into l'aquila and you know build up this media stunt uh, and they and, and they just you know uh, made the system even more rigid and strict so that it, the, any major risk commission meeting now is even more close to the public. This yeah. is kind of a lesson that uh, that is really is really 
disappointing because, you know, for 30 years we are advocating for a transformative co-produced knowledge together with local community, right? Mm. So we are advocating an active, a proactive role, uh, uh, you know, of scientists that should really contribute to to make this world better, right? Yeah. And, and actually this transformative role that science should have for building sustainable transformation is still not understood. And one of the things is that risks are still perceived as a source of anxiety, and so the sharing of risk and knowledge are perceived as a source of anxiety that local mm. people are to be are to be kept away. So if I should tell if I should tell how people have perceived all these, well I I, I cannot talk about all people or the world perception, I I can give you, you know, an impression from a uh, scholar perspective, but mm. also, you know, um, telling you that, yeah, of course, there was much resentment, yeah. much, much, much disappointment, you know, uh, for the outcome, at least. Pretending that the scientists had to be condemned was not the issue, I mean, uh, in, in my opinion. There should be something in the states, in the institutional mechanism of the states. Now the states uh, advocate for for reducing disaster risk and assess, you know, vulnerabilities and reducing them. That that should change. Mm. It cannot be still, you know, uh, led by such top-down military type command and control approach. Just think about, you know, uh, the climate crisis we are all experiencing, right? And mm. uh, if we think about on on a, on bigger scale what is going on is that what happened in L'Aquila in a smaller case at the state level, right? Because the earthquakes warm and the sequence of tremors and earthquakes that got worsening that got intensifying over time can can be compared to the you know the, the increasing in the number of uh, climate related disasters. And so understanding how the scientific community behave, you know, and perceive its own role, its own public, uh, the, the public ethic, you know, of assessing risk. It's crucial to understand how we can deal now on a global scale, how, how science can contribute to this increasing disaster risk all over the world due to, to the current climate crisis, right? So it seems to me a perfect effort to understand how states and science can really should what great states and science should learn from this experience should we uh, keep denying that there is no risk of climate crisis that the disasters are not increasing should we keep people out from you know learning and transforming and building sustainable transformation at the local level or should really engage more with the public I'd like to come to you now, Jean-Maria, and in your paper in the special issue, you talked about the disruption and reconfiguration of the center of L'Aquila as violence. And this is really intriguing. So I wanted to ask you to maybe tell us a bit more about that. First of all, uh, thank you for your invitation. I'm very glad to participate in this uh, podcast about, uh, about L'Aquila. 
Uh, regarding your question, um, in addition to what I wrote in the paper, I can say that uh, in this case, the term violence is uh, to be understood in a different sense than the usual one. I don't use the term violence to, to define a limited act over time, such a, a police attack during a demonstration or a forced division by, by the army. Uh, the violence can be exerted by depriving someone of the ability, but uh, above all the entitlement of uh, deciding and uh, acting uh, as a citizen. I think, okay? uh, I think the deliberate removal of political right is violence. A violence that uh, we see more and more frequently uh, today within a system of democracy in which the role of citizens is uh, limited to give a blank proxy every five years to a class of uh, professional politicians, uh, professional for uh, remuneration, certainly not for their skills, and uh, any further participation of people in public life is prevented. Such kind of violence has unfolded in L'Aquila without obstacles, precisely during, during the um, emergency phase, uh, corresponding with um, the 10 months of the Commissioner's um, administration. Uh, the model of uh, intervention put in place in L'Aquila was the, in the same time paternalistic and authoritarian. Citizens uh, have been treated as underage people to manage and not uh, as uh, active subjects. This was seen in the tent camps where uh, assemblies were f even forbidden and people had to comply with uh, different regulations from camp to camp depending on the will of the commandant. This was seen in the move of thousands of people to hotels on the Abruzzo coast. This was seen in the closure of water and electricity supplies to the Piazza Dami tent camp in autumn uh, 2009 uh, to force the hosted people to go away in spite of their decision to not move, to remain in their town. Um, all of this only to cite just a few examples of uh, direct coercion uh, towards people. But uh, there's another kind of violence, uh, less uh, recognizable because uh, it's directed towards subjects who, in the common sense, are not considered as uh, able in, uh, in suffering violence. I'm talking about uh, local institutions, about the territory, uh, but also about the democratic order itself. Now. This could be seen as an exaggeration, but uh, let's consider for a moment the enormous quantity of exceptions to law and regulation adopted in L'Aquila. In addition to the absolute discretion power exercised by the Commission of Bartolazzo through the command and control structure. The number and kind of uh, the exception imposed in L'Aquila are impressive, over 100 articles of law concerning the discipline of public contracts, expropriation, regulation of administrative procedures, and even the rules for protecting people against uh, noxious works. Uh, all is uh, based on the um, Ordinance uh, 3753 of the Prime Minister Berlusconi issued in April 6, which uh, also contains a very relevant novelty in comparison to the emergency decrees previously adopted in Italian disasters. A brief sentence extends the exception to all the laws and regulations connected to the intervention regulated by the ordinance. Practically everything. Uh, we uh, therefore understand uh, well that um, if legal, legal cert certainty is the foundation of democracy, here uh, the game uh, falls through and the state fully reveals its authoritarian face. Not by chance, uh, in uh, previous work I spoke of meta-legal praxis, because the laws are uh, circumvented and set aside by the state itself, by the same authorities that issued them. The rules are simply ignored. Okay? This is violence under my point of view.
not only figurative, not only towards the local autonomy and the democratic order, uh, the action uh, undertaken uh, under the umbrella of the ex exceptions and uh, the discretionary powers had and still have effects on the reconstruction, on the urban order, on the life and the physical body of the people. So it's a violence that falls on the citizens. Okay, And uh, well, before I spoke about the indefinite derogation. Uh, after Aquila, they were also introduced in the decrees for the 2012 earthquake in Emilia and that uh, in central Italy in uh, 2016. They became common currency. When a disaster happens in Italy, the laws are cancelled. The rules don't count more. In, uh, in this sense, L'Aquila has been a, lab a laboratory, a place for experimenting authoritarian practices to be replayed under the umbrella of the state of emergency in the management of most disparate situations, such as uh, large-scale works, harmful or uh, military installation. Um, the exceptions uh, solves everything, and uh, it's a violence due to the citizens. Even more insidious as it uh, is not perceived as a, as a violence due to its procedural and uh, not physical uh, nature. Thanks for that, Gian Maria. So I want to come to you, Isabella, and you wrote a paper as well for this special issue where you were um, actually, I believe, living in the spontaneously born, um, self-built eco-village in L'Aquila following the earthquake. And I wanted to ask you about some of the barriers that um, this form of self-organization faced from the neoliberal state. So thank you very much about the, uh, this question. is a very, very huge question for me. Um, I will try to give an answer, and I do not consider it to, to be definitive, of course. Uh, the earthquake was an acceleration of the neoliberal transition uh, in L'Aquila. In my opinion, what is interesting in the case of L'Aquila is this complete denial of the possibility of self-organization of the inhabitants and of the social space in general. From one day to the next, people went to, from being citizens to became terremotati, people who suffered an earthquake. And this for two years long during the emergency phase. Throughout an invasive uh, uh, emergency governance and a purely private reconstruction, today, at 10 years, there is a crisis of collective hope in a better future. Uncertainty takes its place. The consequence is that the communities disintegrate, solidarity organization disintegrate, social identities are shattered, individuals do not recognize each other anymore. Human relationships relationship are reified. The order exists for the immediate use that can be made of it, for the selfish benefit that can be drawn here and now. The same form of reaction and resistance put into effect most often respond to real strategies. Individual choice is conceived and lived as the only possible way to survive the unfolding of events. Uh, the absence of a claiming and social program finally contribute to provoke in individual, uh, individuals the paralysis of the criticism and therefore the eclipse of the ability to give meaning to existence besieged by the circumstance, circumstances. 
The case of L'Aquila, in short, makes us understand how the catastrophe is not in itself a distortion of the system that gave order and meaning to our world, but often, as history shows us, is used in an instrumental way to dominate and impose new ways of life. To distort this Uh, this today in this epoch means to isolate and put people in condition of complete dependence of the market. Depoliticizing, at the same time, this operation throughout the humanitarian mask of all the technical solutions. Here there is for me the Aquila's warning. Thank you, guys. You know, I found the special issue really, really interesting. What I'd like you to do now is to tell us, one of you, each of you, can you tell us what is the one key message that we need to learn from L'Aquila? Giuseppe, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so uh, just very quickly, first of all, uh, thank you to Xenia and Cesar for the invitation and also to Fabio and, and uh, Angelo for attending. Uh, the key message is that uh, um, L'Aquila earthquake shows that, at least for my opinion, recovery is, uh, uh, is a political issue, is not social, uh, is not just a technical issue, is, uh, uh, is something that is related to the political environment of the time. And for political, I don't mean politics, but I mean mm. uh, how the government approached the people, how people react to the people, uh, how people react to the uh, to the decisions taken by the governments, and which are the conflicts that uh, arise between the governments and uh, the local communities, because the conflict is really what Uh, is really the, the main the main issue, not the main issue, the main component of democracy. So if we understand recovery uh, with a political angle, we understand that recovery is also a question of politics and democracy. Thanks, Giuseppe. Fabio, what do you think? What is your one key takeaway message? Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Xenia and Jason. It's really a great opportunity to be here and uh, to, to, to have discussed uh, about our special issue here. And I think that after this discussion, uh, we can say that uh, um, managing an earthquake without engaging local communities and local institutions uh, and without considering uh, uh, local knowledge is... Uh, Uh, it's like uh, it's like to lay the groundwork of the next disasters. <laughs> so it's yeah. like uh, there's no risk awareness without considering local knowledge and without engaging communities and institutions too, because in L'Aquila local institutions were not really involved at local level. So it's like working in local context. Context is the only way to act on the root causes. Of disasters. Thanks Fabio, that's great. How about you Jean-Maria? 
Well, in L'Aquila, uh, many grassroots uh, organizations rise not only after the earthquake. So I think that uh, the main lesson we can learn from L'Aquila is uh, that uh, authoritarian practices can be deployed only where the people is not uh, stably part of uh, uh, grassroots uh, organizations that uh, watch over the policies and uh, actively intervene in the management of uh, city and uh, territory. Uh, thank you again for your invitation and goodbye to all. Thank you. Angelo, what is your message? So what we can learn from the L'Aquila case is that no matter political party is at the power, what really matters is the mechanism that states adopt before and after disasters in organizing their planned interventions. So what we found was that states still adopting top-down, centralized civil protection systems, they still rely on a knowledge concerning risk, which is merely techno-scientific and does not acknowledge the social dimensions of risk and of disasters. They still rely on institutional arrangements that are inspired by kind of military type approach, that are emergency powers and state secrecy provisions and derogation to anti-mafia controls and public procurement processes, and they still adopt a command and control approach. So basically what we can learn is that the United Nations, if they are really willing to make the states respecting their principles and recommendations, they should really look more carefully at the mechanism that states enact before and after disasters to build back better. And now Isabella is going to read us a poem just to finish off this amazing episode with the editors and authors of the special issue in disaster prevention and management on the occasion of the 10-year anniversary of the L'Aquila earthquake. It's called Post-Emergency Punk. All'avventura ero partita, alla conquista della conoscenza. Eterna praticante dell'arte del bagaglio, diventato fagotto, diventato ricordo, minuzioso. Preso a casaccio, selezionato dalla mente presente, in punta di piedi, tra il prima e il dopo, portato dalla magnifica schiuma di una parola ritrovata, pesca fruttuosa. Post-emergency punk. Emigrant fleeing from Ithaca, destroyed. Uh, left for the adventure, for the conquest of knowledge, eternal practitioner of the art of luggage, become a bundle, become a memory, meticulous, selected by chance from the present mind, tiptoed between before and after, brought by the magnificent form of a rediscovered world, fruitful fishing. L'hanno presa i porci, la mia aquila, e i suoi castelli intorno, i campi di fagioli, le terre montagnose. I crolli hanno mostrato le sue vergogne, i tribali accoppiamenti con il Signore, quello che salva con miracoli inauditi e quello che da sempre educa ad accettare le paure sconvolte di una società che non ragiona sul fare comune. L'analisi ferma alla propaganda, la complessità reducta ad unam, ovvero la grettezza al potere, i soliti vecchi a promettere un futuro che non vedranno. The pigs took it, my aquila, and the castles surrounding it, 
the fields of beans, the mountainous lands, the crumbles showed her shame, the tribal pairings with the Lord, the one who saves with unearthed miracles, and the one who has always taught to accept the shocked fears of a society that does not reason on common deeds. Analysis stops to propaganda, complexity reducta ad unam, or pettiness to power. The typical oldies promising a future that they will not see. Contraffare la realtà come fosse la somma delle necessità. Così, fare la propria casa è la sfida di chi osa il semplice coltivare, di chi finora ha imparato ad accumulare, senza dissipare le voci cantanti dei cinesi, la rivoluzione dei francesi, di tutto un po', mattoni d'ogni genere, sfidando il cantico egocentrico delle sirene e la loro voglia di trattenerci irretiti nel sogno, fuori misura, di una pace persa in altura. Al rientro Penelope aveva finito la sua tela, Argo perso la sua fede, tutti gli odissei dispersi allora hanno cambiato il logos del loro viaggio che non è più un attracco né una locuzione ma una ricostruzione. Counterfeiting reality as if it were the sum of necessity. So make your own home. It's the challenge of those who dare, the simple cultivating of those who have learned so far to accumulate without dispelling the Chinese voices singing, the French Revolution, a bit of everything, bricks of every kind, challenging the egocentric song of the sirens and their want to detain us, get caught up in the dream. Out of size, by one piece lost in high sea. On the way back, Penelope had finished her canvas. Argo lost his faith. All the Odysseys scattered then. They changed the logos of their journey, which is no longer a docking, neither a phrase, but a reconstruction. L'angoscia dell'impossibile ritorno, del silenzio profondo, e proprio in quel baccano far rinascere il grano, col pane che gli gonfia il petto, i crochi attingere le prime gelate, senza contrattazione con i sassi, a parte il ripararsi in tolos messi in vendita da mio pisciacalli di spazi. Le radici nelle unghie, le rose e aurore fra le braccia, non ascoltare più alcuna minaccia. The anguish of the impossible return of profound silence and just in that racket to revive the grain with the bread that swells his chest, the crocuses that die the first frosts, without bargaining with stones apart from sheltering in tolos, put on sale by short-sighted people, jackals of spaces, the roots in the nails, the rosy auroras between arms, no longer hear any threat.
ma con qualunque corteccia fare fre- breccia nella feccia e da lì in poi ritrovare le grotte strofinare la sorte sul culo del generale la mano morta di nuovo seri senza varietà senza clown senza città but with any bark make a breach in the dreads and from then on find the caves rub the lot on the ass of the general the dead hand serious again without variety, without clowns, without town. In quest'isola termica il valore non è la rendita, in quest'isola elettromagnetica il valore non è la tecnica, in quest'isola geometrica il valore non è la mimica, in quest'isola panica il valore è la mantica, in quest'isola segnica do valore alla logica, in quest'isola agricola do valore alla ritmica. Ma su quest'isola già presa dalla camorra ce la prenderemo col primo che corra fra le braccia di quei porci, per le case, senza pronunciare una frase, sin dalla prima fase, occultando a se stessi che quelli non avrebbero comprato ciò che non fosse stato messo al mercato. I direttori d'accademia, i paesani possidenti, i cavatori conniventi, i dirigenti ammaestrati da sindaci rimbambiti. Giù nella valle la tensione spezza i fili, non regge più i contesti, si insinua sotto le vesti e le porteresti con te sotto gli ulivi nei tuoi ritiri. On this thermal island the value is not rent. On this electromagnetic island the value is not the technique. On this geometric island the value is not mimicry. On this panic island the value is the divine. On this semantic island I give value to logic. On this agricultural island I give value to rhythm. But on this island already taken by the Camorra, we will take it with the first to run into the arms of those peaks for the case without pronouncing a phrase. From the first phase, hiding from themselves that they would not buy what had not been put on the market, the academy directors, the villagers, possessors, the miners, all complicit, the leaders, trained by mayors, dumb down the tension in the valley, breaks the threads, no longer holds the contexts, creeps under your clothes, and you would take them with you under the olive trees in your retreats. E chi dell'isola guardava i destini e ha creduto ugualmente e ha lasciato fare ciecamente? Ritorno ad una domanda essenziale che ha spinto col maestrale, come te e me sul banale, come me e te sul mare. And those who looked at the island's destiny and believed anyway and let them get away with it i'll go back to the essential question that has moved me by the mistral like you and me in our daily life like you and me on the sea Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Disasters Decon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. 
This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time. Avete ascoltato Jason, Xenia, Giuseppe, Fabio e Angelo su Disaster Deconstructed Podcast. Grazie a tutti per averci seguito.